Very good. All right. God bless you all. When's the last time I preached here at Itaewon? Long time. It's been a long time? It's been too long? My bad. All right. I've been having a very intense semester of seminary studies. But the Lord has been speaking to me. Because I've been grumbling about seminary. Let's just be honest here. I've been unhappy. I've been critical. Complaining about my professors. Complaining about the work they give us. The last minute work they give us. I mean, I've just been grumbling in my heart. And this past week, one of my professors was going over the Pentateuch. And she was talking about how the Israelites. You know, God delivered them with a mighty hand out of Egypt. And was getting ready to take them into the promised land. But they kept on grumbling. (laughs) Kept on complaining. Kept on opposing the authority that God has set up. And I have to recognize that my professors are my authorities. And I'm at at seminary as a student. I have to learn to honor them, respect them. You know, and and, and I got really convicted because in the, uh, in the, the Bible, it says that when Miriam started to oppose her brother Moses, Miriam and Aaron was started start talking bad about Moses' leadership. God struck Miriam with leprosy. And then later on, when the people of God, uh, the Israelites started to grumble while they were in the desert, God sent snakes, poisonous ones, all around the camp and just bit a lot of people and they died. And so, you know, she was telling us that those two signs were actually from the burning bush experience that Moses had. Where Moses asked God, if I go out, you know, how are these people going to believe that you sent me? And God said, throw your stick down. Turned it into a stick, snake. That's the first sign. Second sign is, put your hand in your cloak. And when he took it out, it became leprous as snow. And then third sign, if they don't believe, I will turn the Nile River into blood. And so she connected that for me. She was like, the reason why God chose leprosy for Miriam was God was authenticating Moses' leadership. And then when God sent snakes out, God was once again authenticating Moses' leadership because these are the signs that God gave Moses at his burning bush experience. All that to say, uh, the Lord has been really uh, convicting me, uh, teaching me to be thankful in this season. I do feel a little overwhelmed. And I think I was handling it in a way where I was allowing some anxiety in. And so it's been affecting my, you know, my body and my physical well-being and things like that. And I think today's message from Vicki Porterfield really just sealed the deal for me. And let me just confess that as a pastor, you know, you would think that having my spiritual discipline should be like clockwork, you know. But let me just say that I'm not John Michael. I'm not Pastor John Michael. I'm not Pastor John Newfield. I'm more like you, actually. <clears throat> I'm more like, a lot like you. And they also, they, for them, they have the, the family inheritance. Like, that's something that their parents paved the way for. So for them, it's much easier to walk in. You know, and so f- for me, you know, my, I don't know what my parents did, but <laughs> my mom used to pray a lot. So I do, I do have a strong prayer life, but like in terms of like really having quiet times and disciplining myself to do devotions, you know, sometimes, I have seasons where I struggle, you know, and because this semester has been so busy for me, I'll confess a lot of times I just put that aside 
And I just go and study, go and work on my sermon, go and do some ministry stuff, go and meet people, and then go do study. And then, you know, I know the Lord is like, you know, when do I get in? When do I get some time in your schedule? And I said, hold on, Lord, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're patient, aren't you, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, so I've been just kind of like cranking things down, running things, but then I think that's where I neglected the beauty and the discipline of resting in God. And so I want to encourage all of you, whether you're a leader or not, to go listen to Vicki Porterfield's message today from Hillside. Because she really talked about the power of rest and how rest is actually one of the unconventional weapons of spiritual warfare. You know, sometimes we go at it in prayer. We fast like we've been doing this weekend. But then other times, the way you come against the enemy is to rest in the Lord, to be still and know that he is God, to trust that he's working all things for your good, to trust that he is answering the prayers you prayed earlier. And that there's, you don't need to be in this constant flux of uh, striving and performing and trying to earn or to get your way. You know, it requires a lot more faith to rest than it does to like pray at a prayer meeting. That's what Vicky talked about today. It was real powerful. So I want to encourage you guys to check that out. And uh, all that to say, you know, let me get into my message today. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. All right. If your heart is open to hear the word of God, let me hear you say, yeah. Yeah. Now look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Today I want to talk about the power of no. I'm going to turn to your neighbor and tell him no. Two simple letters, one short little word. But there's a lot of power in the word no. In Spanish, it's still no. In Russian, it's niet. What's the equivalent of no in Korean? It'll be a... Yeah? Ande! Ande yo! Hajima! Yeah! 
I don't know, like, you know, you say your no, right? There's power in the, in this word no. And even as Jesus was here being tempted in the wilderness, Satan, if you really look at a lot of these, uh, if you look at these three temptations, it's like a catch-22 he puts Jesus in. You know what a catch-22 is, right? If you don't do something, you're trapped. If you do something, you're trapped. It's uh, Catch-22 is, is this military term. Uh, I didn't read the book, but I read like the first intro chapter. It's too long. The book was too long. Actually, I, I, I don't generally like reading fiction books. It's just my own thing. But if you're more imaginative and you like fiction books, God bless you. But that's not me. I just read the intro, but I, I, I figured out what the catch-22 is. In the military, if you declare yourself crazy, then they go, oh, you can't be crazy. Because why would you say you're crazy if you are crazy? So you can't ever say in the military, I'm crazy. But then if you, if you don't say you're crazy and you're crazy, am I getting this right? <laughs> anyway, long story short is you can never say you're crazy in the military because there's a catch-22. If you say it, then you're not crazy. But if you don't say it, you may be crazy, but they may never find you. Anyway, you can't use the crazy argument to get out of military duty is kind of like what uh, this catch-22 is about. I hope I figured, I summarized that okay, right? Like I said, I didn't read the book. Anyway, Jesus tried, the Satan tries to trap Jesus with catch-22s here. If you look at the first temptation, it says, uh, if you are the son of God. Uh, First of all, if you are the son of God, Jesus knows who he is. He knows he is the son of God. But here, Satan tries to Say, if you are, and you are, and I know that you are, then tell these stones to turn to bread. Right? And so if Jesus doesn't turn the stones to bread, then he's denying I'm the son of God. But if he turns the stones to bread, he's using his power in a way that is not pleasing to the father. So whether he turns the stones to bread or he doesn't turn the stones to bread, he's trapped. So Satan thinks, you know, he's got Jesus cornered. But Jesus here quotes a Bible passage. And he says, it is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus said to Satan, no, I'm not playing your game. I know where I stand. I know who I am. And I know what the word of God tells me. So Satan tries another one. Once again, look at verse 6. If you are the son of God. Why does Satan keep saying if? He's trying to catch him. Then throw yourself down. Jesus, aren't you confident that God's promises are true? Throw yourself down. Do it. And Jesus once again says, no, Satan. Homie, don't play that. You guys know living color? If you guys don't know, never mind that. He says, no, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, the reason why I read that passage is to relate it back to your own personal experience of your spiritual walk. You know, one of the things that Vicky said at Hillside is one of the primary areas where spiritual warfare takes place is number one is in your mind. It takes place first in your mind. There's other areas of warfare, mind you, in the church, you know, in territorial areas like cities. But number one, it's usually in your mind. 
And so we, we, we are not given the specifics of how Satan talked to Jesus. The Satan, like some movies, they, they have Satan come in in the form of a snake. And then the snake somehow starts to talk or something. You know, or was it just Jesus? He's just, you know, he's just 40 days, 40 nights. He hasn't eaten anything. He starts tripping. He's like, oh man, is that Satan? You know, I don't, you know, we don't, we don't know what it was. It was like an internal thing or an external voice. But all we know is the gist of what the temptation was. And we have the gist of how Jesus answered. In our own Christian lives, Satan's going to come out and he's going to test us. He's going to tempt us. But that's when we need to utilize the power of our no. We have to understand that we have veto power against the temptations of the enemy. And the best way you can say no to a demonic temptation is to quote the scriptures. Do like Jesus did. You want to utilize the power of the no? Then get scripture in you that you can use to say no to the devil's temptations. If you're struggling with anxiety, stop giving in to that anxiety and start memorizing Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You can see that I'm a man who doesn't struggle with much anxiety for most of my life. Except a couple times this past semester. (laughs) Generally, I have not struggled with anxiety. Why? Why? Because when Satan tries to tempt me with anxiety, and trust me, man, if I, if I don't have victory over anxiety, I can't be your lead pastor. You know how, how much pressure, how difficult it is to be, to be the leader, you know, to be the spiritual father of this movement? Oh, you know, it might be nice to be called a spiritual father, but hey, man, that's, you know, like, it's tough. If I'm not having victory in, in anxiety, man, I would have burned out a while ago. And the way you say no, to the temptations of fear and anxiety is, you, you quote the scriptures back to Satan. We got to learn how to say no and say no effectively. To say no with power. You know, some of, some, some of y'all, the way you say no to Satan is you turn on TV. Satan, no. Turn on the TV. And then Satan starts talking to you through the TV. And you're like, no, and you turn the channel and you go to something even worse. And then, no, you know, that's not the best way to say no. Get some scripture in you. We got to learn how to say no to temptation and sin. The Bible says in Genesis 39, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. And after Potiphar, his master uh, in Egypt, he went on a travel, business trip, whatever. His wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But the Bible says, Joseph said, no. It says the Bible says he refused. And then he said this. He said, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Then how can I do this wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No, it's sin against God. See, the word of God was written in Joseph's heart. Whatever in his upbringing, he knew the ways of the Lord. And he knew that adultery was wrong. And so Joseph here, he says no. But one thing that people don't realize is verse 10. Verse 10 says, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. 
or even be with her. So it wasn't a one-time incident is what I'm saying. This is day after day. Day after day, Joseph has to say, no. Woman, get away from me. No. You know, you smell good, but no. And usually I joke around that Potiphar's wife wasn't that good looking. But you have to understand Potiphar was a rich woman. A rich man. And he probably had a pretty fine woman. Pretty fine wife, you know. And, but, but Joseph here, he says no. Not just once, but again and again. And that's what we need to do too. If Satan keeps tempting us in the same area, we got to learn how to be like Joseph and refuse and to say no again and again and again. We got to learn how to say no to condemnation. You know, a lot of times Satan will attack you through condemnation and say, look what you did. You messed up again. Look at you. What kind of Christian are you? And he just starts to condemn you and accuse you. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Satan, that's his language. He loves to condemn and accuse. But let me tell you something right now. The voice of the Lord doesn't speak with that tone. Uh, don't get me wrong. The voice of the Lord, he, he wants holiness. He wants you to walk according to his ways. But if you mess up, God's not going to be, what have you done? I thought you call yourself a Christian. What is this? No, God doesn't do that. God says, look, my provision's been made in my son. Just go ahead and confess those sins. And my word says in 1 John 1, 9, he, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm the one who inspired that word. Look, I am God. I am faithful. I am just. And I want to cleanse you of all this. Just confess it before me. Be honest with me about that sin. Don't hide it in your heart. Be honest with me and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you believe this word? And when Satan condemns you, you got to have scripture once again. By which you can say, no, Satan. Be silent. Get behind me. Shut up. Saying, I don't got to hear your mess. What are some, a couple, a couple of great verses. One is Romans 8.1. Do you guys know Romans 8.1? Let me tell, tell you, as your pastor, there are key verses that all of you should have memorized. Do you know what Romans 8.1 says? All right, man. All right. Y'all need to really read your Bible a little more. Okay. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So check it out. Am I in Christ Jesus? Yeah, I am. Did I just confess that? Was I honest with God about that sin? Yeah, I did. So this condemnation needs to go. So Satan, no. For there is no condemnation for me. You know what I mean? But too many Christians, you know, they just, they just, they, they let Satan beat them up with it. Like, oh, you know, yeah, I was really bad. And, you know, I, I probably disappointed God. Yeah, Satan, just keep, keep on hammering me, you know. And they, they do this self-inflicted, like, masochistic, you know, activity. No, God, God's not pleased with that. Jesus went through that so that you don't have to spend a day feeling separated from him. Jesus was separated from the love of the Father so that you don't have to ever spend a day feeling separate from him. We got to learn how to say no to condemnation. We got to say no to adultery and sexual immorality. Turn to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Because I know that we lead a very young congregation and young people, young people get tempted 
with sex a lot, and especially single young people, even married young people, they all, we all get you know we all get tempted. But let's let's see Proverbs chapter seven verse twenty one. Let's see what it says. Check this out. Proverbs chapter seven verse twenty one. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, into a trap. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Adultery leads to death. Make no mistake about it. In the Old Testament, you commit adultery. It led, it led to death right away. You got stoned to death. But even if you don't get caught, the word of God is saying it leads to death. Sexual morality, adultery, it leads to death. Now keep reading. And now, oh sons, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, which is another word for death, going down to the chambers of death. Now, this pronoun she, who is she talking about here? What are we talking about? All right, you got to look at verse 5. Verse 5 tells us who she is. It is the forbidden woman, the adulteress. So whether you're married or single, it applies to, to all of you in here. It is the adulteress. It is that married woman that's bored with her husband, feeling like her husband's not meeting my emotional needs. So let me be a desperate housewife. They got even shows about it. This seems a little bit like fun. Let me go and let me, let me see what's out there. And you know, that's the sad thing is, lately, a lot of Korean moms in Korea... They've been committing a lot of adultery. They have TV shows about it. It's a shame. It's a shame. There's the adulteress and then there's the forbidden woman. Whether you're single or married. Any woman that you want to have sex with, that you're not in covenant with, that's the forbidden woman. If you're not in a marriage covenant with her, she's forbidden. You see... Aaron, she's not forbidden to me. All right? We can have intimacy. And it's righteous. And beautiful. I'm sorry. I'll stop there. But hey, hey. With the joys of marriage, there come also the, the pains of marriage. And everyone who's married in here, you guys know that the marriage is not just, you know, having a good time in the bed. Or holding hands and going off on romantic dates. Marriage is also a lot of stuff, a lot of mess. A lot of ugliness you see in her. Usually you see it in her more than you see it in you. But eventually you also see it in yourself and you realize, man, I can't run away from this person. I got to deal with this stuff. Marriage is tough. Marriage is tough. Anyway, whether it's the adulteress or the forbidden woman, the Bible says don't follow her. You know, some men... If they meet a woman at a club, at a bar, even at a church, and that woman's willing to invite him over to her house, 
just for some coffee. You know, they're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the Mac Daddy. You know, I got the swag. Look at me. This is a beautiful woman that I just met, and she's inviting me in. And they think they're going into that apartment like, yeah. But the Bible paints a different picture. It says you're actually like an ox going out to be slaughtered. You know, you ever see ox getting going to be slaughtered? They usually don't know. They just oh. Oh, here's a nice fence. Oh, there's a big old axe over there. And they don't know that they're being led to the slaughter. But that's, that's like a man who's being led into adultery. Or like a bird that rushes into a trap. Or a window. I don't know. Like, you know, you ever see birds? Man, sometimes birds just like. Actually, I've seen sheep. Sheep are worse. Sheep, they would just follow the crowd. And sheep will like. You ever see YouTube videos of that one, one sheep where like it jumps, but then there's like this um, wall and then the, the sheep bangs like its head on the wall and it just keeps on going. <laughs> anyway, man, if you ever see a bird falling into a snare, that's exactly the picture the Bible paints of a person that's going into that apartment. The person who starts taking off her clothes. The Bible says not knowing He's a victim. Not knowing that this path is a path that leads to death. You got to predetermine in your hearts, brothers and sisters, that you will say no to sexual immorality all the days of your life. Because once again, when you get married, it doesn't fix the problem either. How many men and women do we know? How many parents do we know that commit adultery on our, on our mother, that commit adultery on our father, on an uncle? Doesn't take care of itself like that. You gotta learn how to say no. Use the power of no. You know, I've talked a lot, I think, here about my foolish actions when I was an NYU student, especially my freshman year. You know? My freshman year, there were two incidents. Let me just summarize it real quick. But this is foolishness that even got me. And that's my next point, by the way. We'll get to that. But there was this, there was this girl from Texas that I met on AOL. And she told me she's going to NYU too. So I was like, yeah, we got to meet up. You know, she's like a real bubbly girl. And one time she said, like, you got to come over to my dorm, hang out with my, uh, my dorm suite mates. And so I went over there, not knowing. I was like an ox. I didn't know what's going on here. <laughs> I went up in that room. And then she was like, hey, why don't you just sleep over? You know, it's getting late. Why don't you just sleep over? I was like, oh, okay, it seems safe. There's all these people around, you know. And then she's, and then, and then when we started getting ready for bed, she's like, hey, you can just sleep next to me. And like I said, man, this is foolishness. You don't even want to go here, all right? But in my freshman immaturity and foolishness, I thought it was safe, so I, I slept next to her. I slept next to her. Then, you know, after the lights went off, I heard her sweet mates. They started making out with each other and, and all these people in the bunk beds, and they're all, they're all, I'm surround sound people making out with each other. <laughs> and that made me really uncomfortable. I'm like, maybe, maybe she wants, maybe she wants something from me. You know? And uh, lo and behold, she starts rubbing her legs against mine. And then she took off, like, her pants, so she was actually in her panties, I think. She's, she's all, you know, 
kind of slowly rubbing up against me. But you know, even though I made those foolish decisions to put myself in that position, I have predetermined in my heart, I will give my virginity to my future wife. I will not sin against the Lord and have sex with a forbidden woman. So I was already predetermined in my heart. So when she started doing that, although she was, you know, a little bit attractive, you know, she wasn't like gorgeous, but you know, she was a little attractive, you know, I just turned over to my side and I gave her the no. And I guess she had too much pride to like keep persisting. And she was pretty tired. Cause about 10 minutes later, I heard her snoring in my ear. <laughs> I think I laid there. I didn't, I don't think I got my sleep that night. I laid there and I was like, Lord, what am I doing? And the Lord was like, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> like, and I'm telling you right now, like I preached down in Seaside, it was the keeping power of God that I was a virgin when I got married. And don't think, oh, you know, oh, that's because you didn't have many opportunities. No, I mean, I had, I had unintentional opportunities, unpremeditated opportunities. They were definitely there. You know, I, I have a couple other stories where I put myself in very compromising situations. One pianist friend, uh, pianist, she's a piano player. <laughs> One of my friends, she, she, uh, started massaging my face. And you know, her, her hands were like real strong. So she was massaging my face and I kind of woke up and I was like, what are you doing? It was just me and her in the NYU dorms again. Man, NYU dorms are filled with a spirit of fornication. You gotta, don't send your children to NYU, alright? <laughs> There's so much sex going on in NYU. Uh, anyway, she, she's like, Massaging my face. It was like three in the morning. And I was like, why is she massaging my face? Let me go to sleep. And we're in separate beds this time. I learned from my earlier incident. But I could, I, I didn't realize that she was actually trying to come on to me. But you know, once again, I had already predetermined in my heart. So I said no to that sexual morality. You know? It is the keeping power of God. And you know, let me tell you something right now. The same keeping power. That was upon Pastor Christian is the same keeping power that's upon you. God doesn't discriminate and say, oh, well, well, you know, you got a sexual history. I can't give you this keeping power. Or, you know, you're, you're too beautiful. I can't give you this keeping power. No. The same keeping power is upon you. Can I say something? Pastor Benjamin was a virgin when he got married. Pastor John Michael was a virgin when he got married. And obviously, Pastor John Newfield, too. And Pastor Anita. They were all virgins when they got married. Brian, were you a virgin when you got married? Good. All right. <laughs> if, I, if I asked you and you said no, I would have been a little embarrassing. Look, check this out. I know a lot of y'all already had sex. But can I give you a, a different vision than you get at your workplace? A different vision than you get from your colleagues? Not everybody is jumping in head on, headlong over sex, all right? Right, their keeping power is upon you. And you gotta say no to it because it, this adulterous sexual immorality, it leads to death. I mean, if you think about the parents that cheated on each other, what did that result in? Divorce. What is that? Death. That's the death of a marriage. It resulted in your childhood being destroyed, your innocence being killed 
when you're 12 years old? Why should you have to deal with this, uns- this lack of safety as a child? Because your parents can't be faithful to each other. Sexual morality always leads to death. For a lot of single women who, get, who, who follows the forbidden man, they, some of them get pregnant. And immediately they go and get an abortion, especially here in Korea. Once again, it leads to death. Make no mistake about it. Whether it's direct, indirect, somehow, sexual morality always leads to death. Do not follow that path. Say no to it. Another thing you want to say no to is foolishness. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Proverbs chapter 5, 22 and 23. It's just a couple chapters earlier. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The course of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. What am I trying to say? Where sexual immorality leads to death? Let me tell you something else that leads to death. It's foolishness. It says right here, for lack of discipline, he will die. He will die for lack of self-control. He will die for lack of wisdom. He will die for lack of discipline led astray by his own great folly. You know, we always joke around with Pastor Daniels as Pastor Benjamin's spiritual father. When Pastor Daniels talks to Pastor Benjamin, you know, or sometimes uh, when he's taught in the past, he has this phrase. He says, no, son, foolishness will kill you. I didn't know that it was just direct from the scriptures. You know, you think foolishness, oh, it's a little fun, you know. Let me do a little foolish stuff, you know, smoke a little weed, you know, have a little fun, you know. Let me just have a little, let me, let me be a fool for, for a little bit. But, you know, I'm talking about like real foolishness. That's Daniel's words are true because it comes from scripture. Foolishness will kill you. It will destroy your life. And so not only do you need to say no to foolishness, but if one of your friends is getting involved with foolishness, you got to be like, no friend. Foolishness will kill you. Get out of that. You know, you got to be bold and understand that the power to say no is not just upon your tongue for yourself. But it's also anointed by God for you to set others free. Or if you come up to Pastor Aaron or myself and you're walking in foolishness. Now we're going to tell you straight up, no son. No son. That's foolishness. And foolishness will kill you. Foolishness will kill you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Foolishness will actually kill you. Let me cover a couple others. Um, something else that you also want to steadfastly say no to all the days of your life is bribery. Uh, if you look at, I'll, I'll read Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen for you. I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise 
and twists the words of the righteous. Do not accept a bribe. How do you know it's a bribe? When you receive that money, you feel something shady. It's probably a bribe. You know, that's even the ministry, man. I haven't had that many instances. But, you know, sometimes people will try to give me a, uh, give me a gift or something. And the Lord will check my spirit and say, don't take it. It's got a string attached with it. They got an agenda. And so, you know, I just, I just kind of be bold. I'll be like, oh, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> I got plenty of those at home. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed. You know, you might want to give it to somebody else. Do not accept a bribe. Bribery pollutes and perverts justice. This is a word for all of you because some of you are going to come into high positions of authority. Whether it's as a lawyer, as a politician, as a business person. Don't think that justice doesn't count in the business realm. Why do you think the whole world is in an economic downturn and recession? It's because of a lack of justice in the business realm. The free market only works if it's based on Judeo-Christian values. When you start going away from honesty, any knuckle-headed economist will tell you the free market doesn't work. That's why in China there's a lot of concerns about China's economy. Because as much as China is growing very quickly... Some experts are now predicting China will not become the one number one economy because there's way too much corruption still in their business. There's a lack of safety for foreign investment. So people are focusing more on areas like Korea, hoping that Korea will stamp out corruption, or Singapore or Hong Kong, you know, these areas that, where there's more safety. But one of the greatest ways in which businessmen get corrupted is through bribery, accepting gifts. Do not do that to yourself. Say no. Do not do that to your family. Do not do that to your business. Do not do that to your employees. Learn to say no to all forms of bribery all the days of your life. If you were engaged to be married to a beautiful woman and her father came up to you, And said, here, in this briefcase, cash money. There's a million dollars right in here. Take this money and walk away from my daughter. And all that cash is yours. How many of you in here, if you are really in love with that woman, you would just take that cash? Man. If you say you're going to take the cash, man, you, you need to uh, enroll in one of our small groups and read the Bible more. And which one of y'all would, in your right mind, you would take the cash over the woman you love? Check this out. Every time you take a bribe, right, it's like choosing money over your groom Jesus, your Lord Jesus. Jesus said it. It's in his word. The word of the Lord says, do not accept a bribe. So every time you take a bribe, you're choosing money 
over Christ. Make no mistake about it. That's exactly what's happening. And we got to know, man, bribery, it's why we have human trafficking. If policemen would enforce the laws that are already there, you will see less human trafficking. If orphanage directors will be faithful and stop taking bribes from, from, from pimps that come around to recruit their young girls, they will stop taking that money that they're being slid, slid under the table. There will be less of these orphanage girls out in these brothels. Don't think that it's not all connected. It's always connected to bribery. Do not take a bribe. You got to learn how to say no. Another area is, uh, well, let me talk about this, abuse and sexual harassment. Sexual harassment. Women of God. Ladies. You have got to learn how to say no when it comes to any form of harassment from a man. You know, Chris Rock has to stand up where he jokes about it. He says, when is it sexual harassment and when is it not? You know? Is it when an ugly guy wants some? And he goes, if Clarence Thomas, if you guys know the Supreme Court justice, if Clarence Thomas looked like Denzel Washington, none of this would have happened. That's what he says. You guys get the joke, right? You guys know how Clarence Thomas looks like, right? He's a pretty handsome guy, but he's no Denzel. Anyway, Clarence Thomas was, uh, he was sued in the uh, 90s for sexual harassment to one of his employees. And uh, sometimes some of you ladies think you get, you get flattered a little bit if he's really good looking. So if it's sexual harassment from an ugly guy, oh, that's call the police. It's sexual harassment. <laughs> right, that's what Chris Rock said. But if the guy looks real good, then you get a little flattered. But let me tell you something right now. You got to learn how to say no. Stop it before it starts. Because those men, they don't have good intentions. They might be even married. You don't want to be semi-accepting sexual harassment from a married man. You don't want to be flirting with a married man. You don't want to be flirting really with, with your manager, your boss, anyone in a uh, superior position of authority. That gets real dangerous real quick. But as women of God, you got to utilize the power of your no. You know, what they teach you in um, these... Uh, you know, college campus um, classes for self-defense. And, you know, I, f- I forgot. Kathleen Ahn at the Hillside Campus, she taught us some song that she learned in college. Stop. Yeah, stop. Don't touch me there. These are my no-no squares. <laughs> R-A-P-E. Get that thing away from me. Rape. Like they teach you in these classes. Women, you got to learn how to say no and say it firmly, say it clearly, say it loudly. You know, some women, they end up getting raped. And it's because they don't understand the power of their no. They think it was inevitable. They think there's nothing they can do about it. But let me tell you something now. There's power in your no. 
and the guy ain't responding, you, you make that no even louder to your neighbors. You know, but I mean, there's far too many women that get coerced into being sexually abused rather than being forced into it. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of women we've done healing deliverance with, and there's usually the percentage is about 50 to two-thirds of all women in the church, they've been sexually abused at one point. They've been raped. They've been abused as a child. And I'm thinking for my future, when, we, when I have a daughter, you know, when she's four years old, I'm going to teach her how to say no. I'm, I'm hoping to name our daughter Mariah. So I'm going to be like, Mariah? I got one word to teach you today, girl. And you better use it and use it well. Don't use it against daddy, though. Daddy says, go to sleep. You're going to sleep. But if anybody makes you feel uncomfortable, touches you in one of your no-no squares, you tell that man no and put the fear of God in him. You know, we don't, we don't train our children to do that. And so when our children get into these compromised positions, they get all scared and they get stiff up. But we will learn to equip not just our little daughters, but the daughters of God, the ladies, the sisters in this house. If you will all learn that your no actually has power. Then you use that no. You use that no. And even if, even if it's forced and overpowering and the guy threatens you with a weapon or something, and, and the sexual abuse takes place. Even then, do you know that you have the power to say no? You have the power to say no to letting that incident injure you and harm you and torment you for the rest of your life. You have the power to say no to that. Too many women, they think, oh, it happened. Now I just got to relive it. Now I just got to wallow in the pain of it. And that's all alive, the enemy. Word of God says we're more than conquerors. That means you say no to these thoughts. You learn to forgive that guy. And then you put it behind you and you move on. God will bring the healing to your heart. And in fact, what torments for for some women, the memories that torment them actually end up becoming a testimony. And then it sets other women free. You have the power to say no. Even if it happened. You have the power to say no to allowing that abuse to ever touch you again. You think if Jesus was here on this earth and he's hanging out with you at a cafe and all of a sudden you get one of these flashbacks and you start wallowing in that flashback of how you got abused. You think Jesus would just kind of sit there and enjoy his coffee and watch you. Knowing what you're going through. Let's say he gets a word of knowledge. He sees what you're going through. He thinks he'll just sit there and let you go through that. Now he'll be like, no, daughter. You don't ever have to let that memory torment you again. You say no to that. You forgive and you move on. Let me heal your heart. Now, I'm not saying it's simple. But I'm saying it's real. Or some ladies, if he hits you, the best way you say no is you walk out and get out of that relationship. Too many women, you know, they get hit. No, no, no. Next night they come back for more. No, no. 
If he's touching you, he's abusing you, the best way to say no is you walk out of that relationship. He can promise, he can, he can apologize, he can promise he'll never do it again. Alright? You let him go through his own season of healing and deliverance before you get back together with him. Christian thing to do, I would say, is to walk away. There's power in our no. Even if uh, it's not sexual abuse, it's, it's just any kind of emotional abuse, whether it's from your best friend, whether it's from your mom, your cousin, anybody kind of taking advantage of you, you got to learn to say no. Well, they're my family. It don't matter. If they are stepping over all of your boundaries and you're being abused by them, you say no. If your best friend keeps saying, man, you're such a loser, man. You're not good at anything. You turn to him and say, no, friend. It's not who I am. Do you ever call me that again? No, I'm serious. You need to be, you need to be strong. If you say it strong, all right, that friend, if he's a real friend, he'll stop abusing you with his words. Uh, you know, some of us in here, one of our giftings is loyalty. And because of that gifting, we have a hard time saying no. So we're very loyal friends. Even to, to, uh, as, as almost like a vice. It's just such a loyalty. You, you're so good at it. It's a gift, actually. It's not a curse. It's a gift. But some people, when they recognize that gift on somebody else, they'll take advantage of that person. You ever hear somebody say, well, you know, that's really tough job for anybody, but man, I can call Chris Prasad. He always says yes. Well, Chris Prasad, man, he's got to go to a wedding today. You can't ask him to do that. No, it's all right. He always says yes. Don't worry. Yo, Chris. Hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah. I got, can I ask you for a little favor? Can you help me out? You know, and Chris, because of his loyalty, he has a hard time saying no. And there's people like that. They take advantage of other people's gifting of loyalty. But people in here, that have that gift, listen to me. You got to learn the power of no. You got to learn how to say no. You can still be loyal. But you, you know what? Being loyal to an abusive friend, it ain't worth it. You can be there, you can sacrifice, you can be there for them, but if they're continuing a perpetual abuse and taking advantage of your inability or your loyalty, you need to say no. When it comes to romance, we got to learn the power of no. You know, let me confess here. I don't confess this every week, but let me confess this. I had to say no to a whole lot of girls before I said yes to Aaron. I know some of y'all don't have that problem. But let me tell you something right now. Aaron knows, man. There were all these sisters throughout my college years and even after my college years. They just kept coming and professing their love for me. Oh, you don't believe me, right? You don't believe me. Hey, it's a true story. God knows. God knows. And I had to say no to them. Some of them more beautiful than others. I had to say no. When it comes to romance, 
You got to learn the power. You got to utilize the power of no if you want to marry well. If you say yes out of your insecurity, say yes out of your fear. Oh, I'm never going to get married. No one's going to want me. You say yes, man, you might end up in a marriage that really can really suck. I tell you, in the body of Christ, it's real sad. But not everybody in the church marries well. Now, let me tell you something right now. Once you are married, you know, maybe God's will wasn't you to marry, marry a particular person. But once you marry that particular person, God's will for you is to stay with that person. Make no mistake about that. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Like, if you really insist on marrying somebody and God's like, uh, I got somebody else for you. But you really, you know, in my paradigm, now not all theologians agree with me. In my paradigm, I believe God is very specific. He's very sovereign. He has a very particular and perfect will for your future marriage. Anyone who's landed that perfect will spouse, they'll, they'll testify, man, this is definitely God's will. Like Brian and Jane will probably testify, man, this is definitely God's will. Aaron and I will probably testify, man, we went through a whole lot and then God really showed himself strong that he was the one who brings us together. But not everybody has that story because not everybody has followed the voice of the Lord. You know, they, they marry out of wedlock. They marry out of pressure from family. Now people, a lot of people, man, they, 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 they marry the wrong person. But here's the thing. Once you are married, God says you stay with this person. You stay with this person. Divorce. God hates divorce. But if you are still single and you want to marry well, you can't say yes to every guy that comes along the path. I don't care if he looks like Mark Rado. <laughs> you cannot say yes to every guy that comes along your path. Now, I know for some of y'all, once again, you don't struggle with that. You don't have many guys asking you well. It's okay. It's all right. Some of y'all, that's God's grace. That's God's grace. You, 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 you start believing the lies of the enemy. It's because I'm ugly. It's because nobody likes me. No one's asking me out for like the last seven years because people think, you know, no, that's a deception. It may actually be God's grace. God's like, man, I'm just going to bring one person along at the right time. You're going to marry them. But for other people, it ain't, not, it ain't the same story. For other people, God, God may bring you across many people that you think are, hey, let me tell you, confess right now. There was like a whole line of girls who I thought I was supposed to marry. Prophetic dreams, journaling in my quiet time. I mean, you guys ever do this when you journal? You don't want anybody else to find out who, who you're journaling about, so you make code names for people. But then after a while, there's so many girls, you don't, you, don't, you don't remember which code name goes with who. That's me. You look back at my journals, I'm like, you know, this girl, Marissa. I never knew a Marissa, though. Who is Marissa? Who is Marissa? Marissa, Marissa, Marissa. I don't know who Marissa is. You have so many people come into your life who could be a potential mate. But let me tell you something right now. You got to learn how to say no. You only marry one. Let me tell you something else about romance. If he's not a Christian, you got to say no. What about I get to flirt to convert? What about a rescue mission? I want to go on a missions dating. You know what I mean? Jesus is all about sent ones. Let me be sent to him. And bring him to the Lord. 
let me be sent to her. I'm pretty confident that I could bring her to the Lord. No, no, take this out. If he's not a Christian, on most cases, I'm going to say, no, son. That ain't it. That is not it. And you know where I made a couple exceptions at New Philly? Never turned out well. Because if you really, if God is really the one bringing you all together, you think God doesn't understand that it would help you out if the sequence of it was that they got converted first and then, and then fall in love with you? You think God hasn't figured that out? And so usually I'll advise a young person, well, I really, really love this guy. He's just not a believer, but you know, I really think he's been coming out to church. He's sitting in the back with, you know, listening to these new Philly sermons. I think he's really close. And I'll be like, hey, check this out. If he's really that close, you break up with him. Let him meet the Lord. It should be real close, right? It should only last maybe a couple weeks, right? Let him meet the Lord. And once he's genuinely met the Lord, then you talk to me about possibly dating him. There's a timing through two things. But too many people out of their desperation, out of their insecurities, out of their fears, they go after men that got nothing to do with their lives. It's just heartache. If he is a believer, but he's pressuring you to have sex, you got to learn how to say no. It ain't, it ain't make it right because y'all are having quiet time before you have sex. Yeah, some, some Christian couples, that's what they do. They go, you know, let's have quiet time. Let's hold hands, pray together, and then start kissing. Next thing you know, they're having sex. You know, quiet time to sex. And it moves real quick, when, you know. Hey, if he's pressuring you to have sex, man, you got to just say no. You got to understand, maybe he's not a, at the level of maturity you thought. Maybe you need to have a month off. Maybe you need to get more spiritual authorities to speak into your relationship. Get some pastors, get some small group leaders to speak into it. Don't try to go navigate it alone. You might end up pregnant. Got to learn how to say no. You know, I want to land at this. There's also the power of no. Can we turn off that heat? Man, it's hot in here. Let me say no to that heater. (laughs) No. Um, I said no to the timer a while ago. I'm sorry. You're doing a great, great job, Jasmine. Um, I don't want to land at this, though. One thing that's powerful about no is it helps us to focus. You know, Jesus, when he did his three years of public ministry, did you know that he would turn people away? Or in one case, Canaanite woman who had a demonized daughter came He says, please heal my daughter. I know that you cast out demons. And she starts speaking like a, like a Jew, trying to like be like, you know, I know that you're the Messiah. And she's speaking like a Jew in order to get Jesus' attention. And Jesus says, it ain't right to take what belongs to the children's bread and give it to the dogs. That's crazy. But why did Jesus do that during his ministry? He only targeted Jews. Eventually, he ended up still healing the Canaanite woman's daughter because the Canaanite woman answered with, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. I mean, she was so desperate. Jesus was like, this is incredible how you, you have manifested your faith to me. Your daughter's well. Go, she's healed. But anyway, that's beside the point. Jesus focused on Jews. You might be like, well, that's a little racist. 
But, you know, we we teach this in our membership class. We have a strategy as a church of New Philly. What do we target? We, English, we target English speakers. We don't target Korean speakers. We don't target Russian speakers. We don't talk, target Spanish speakers, Filipinos. We target, well, Filipinos sometimes speak English. Most of them do, actually. Uh, we target English speakers. And you might be like, well, why don't you reach Koreans? You're in Korea. And some people ask some, some really gifted, wonderful ministers who have good character. They ask us that. And I say, well, I gotta stay faithful. And be effective at what God's called me to do. Now, if I, I could still reach Koreans, but it will probably take me about 20 times more energy to reach a Korean than it is for me to reach the expat community here. It's not that I don't love them. It's that I know that if I touch people who are coming out who are bilingual, they in turn will take the DNA of this house and be a blessing to Koreans. You know, and so... And so Jesus targeted his ministry to Jews not to be exclusive, but to be effective. The Apostle Paul, if you read on in the book of Acts, he also targeted his ministry. In other words, he said no to the Jews and he said yes to the Gentiles. So Peter, the Bible says, was an apostle to the Jews. Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles. So Peter focused on the Jews and said no to Gentiles. Paul generally focused on the Gentiles and said no to Jews. Now you might be like, well, that doesn't seem like it really reflects the heart of God. And you're wrong. God is always strategic. God ain't random. You know, if you try to love and reach everybody, you may end up reaching nobody. And so when we learn how to say no to specific things, It's actually helping us to focus on the few things that God has called us to do. One of uh, Steve, let me talk about Steve Jobs for a second, if that's okay. Uh, Walter Isaacson, who did the biography for Steve Jobs, he said this. He said, one of Jobs' greatest strengths was knowing how to focus. Deciding what not to do is as important as deciding what to do, he said. That's true for companies, and it's true for products. If you don't know about the story of Apple, when Steve Jobs was in his mid-20s, he started Apple Computers with Steve Wozniak out of a garage. And up until that time, personal computers were, were not in homes. It was only in big mainframe, huge rooms with big old air conditioners because they overheat. And, and IBM and all these companies thought, you know, why would you ever build a computer for a home? They can't afford it. What would they use it for? You know? And so up until that point, personal computers was, was completely something that people didn't even know the concept about. But Steve Jobs and Steve uh, Wozniak, they built the first computer uh, in their garage. And then they started selling it and started selling well. After a while, they developed a Macintosh operating system, the first graphic user interface which, by, by the way, today, everybody uses a graphic user interface. Now, I used to use MS-DOS, all right, where you, you have to type things up, you know, type up commands. You guys know, you know DOS, right? DOS prompt. Macintosh developed the first GUI, did really well. Then Steve Jobs brought in the CEO of Pepsi, thinking that, you know, that would really help Apple to continue to grow. 
Well, what happened was Steve had a very abrasive personality. He was very, um, still very immature in a lot of ways. And so he started rubbing people, a lot of the employees, the wrong way. He rubbed the, the board, his uh, chairman and the board there the wrong way. Eventually, he got fired from his own company that he started. Do you guys know this? He got fired. And so when he got fired, he had to start from scratch. That's how he built next-gen computers, out of which we get a lot of Apple features. And also, that's how he built Pixar. So he builds next-gen and Pixar, and then Apple starts hitting the dumps. They were doing terrible. And they brought Steve Jobs back in to serve as like an interim CEO, but it ended up becoming permanent. But let me tell you something about what happened when Steve Jobs returned to Apple. When he returned, it was a mess. The company was churning out multiple versions of each product, mostly because of bureaucratic momentum and also to satisfy the fickle whims of retailers. Apple had a dozen versions of the Macintosh, and I personally remember uh, these labels. It was anywhere from 1,400 to 9,600. You know, Quadra and all these different names. People didn't even know which one to buy. So Steve began asking uh, employees, which one do I tell my friends to buy? And nobody knew how to answer that question. Everybody was just kind of doing their own thing. When he couldn't get answers, he began disposing of different product lines. It resulted in, in massive layoffs. He told one group, hey, you guys are bright people. You shouldn't be wasting your time on such crappy products. So he told it like it is. And then a few weeks later, Jobs, he just had enough. You know what he did? He went into a company meeting with uh, about 30 employees, mostly uh, designers and stuff. He grabbed the magic marker. He drew four quadrants. And on the top two quadrants, he put consumer and pro. And on the bottom quadrants, he put desktop and portable. And then he told the team of engineers, your job is to make four great products, one for each quadrant. Phil Schiller, who currently works for Apple, he recalled, the room was in dumb silence. You know, at that time, Apple was doing printers, servers, uh, the Newton, which is like a terrible version of the Palm 5, which you know eventually got popular, but that even died out and got replaced by the iPhone. Uh, Steve Jobs just started killing all these projects. And then what he did was he freed up his most talented people to focus on these four quadrants. And he also took some of the most talented people to work on new mobile devices that eventually this team, these teams, they turned out the iPod, iPad and the iPhone. He had to kill the Newton to give us the iPhone. What am I trying to say? You got to learn how to say no because the power of no helps you to focus on the things that really matter. And did Steve Jobs' strategy work? Well, let me tell you, 1997, they incurred a loss of $1.04 billion. After Steve Jobs took over, he made it, uh, he, he brought forth the, mo- the first profitable quarter uh, in many years with $45 million. And then the, at the end of 1998, the company was turning out a $309 million profit from a 1.04 deficit to a $309 million profit. And the rest, as they say, 
is history. If you guys know anything about Apple stocks, and if you guys read the news, Apple surpassed Exxon as the most valuable company in the world several points in this past year. What makes Steve's methodology different from everyone else's is that he always believed the most important decisions you make are not the things you do, but the things you decide not to do. It comes, this is Steve Jobs himself saying, it comes from saying no to 1,000 things to make sure we don't get on the wrong track or try to do too much. We're always thinking about new markets we could enter, but it's only by saying no that you can concentrate on the things that are really important. It's only by saying no that you can concentrate on the things that are really important. And this is so true, man. Steve Jobs knew and understood the power of no. And I know he wasn't a believer. We don't know what he believed as you're about to die. Maybe, maybe he did find Christ. He had these spiritual experiences at the end. I don't know. Who knows? Don't matter. What matters is Steve Jobs understood something that I believe that God wants to instill in us as his wisdom. We got to learn how to say no to focus on the things that really matter. So here at New Philly, we not only say no to reaching non-English speakers in the city, but we're also going to say no to church planting wherever somebody wants a church plant. Where's our focus? We say no to the suburbs. We say no to Bundang. We say no to Irsan. These are amazing cities, amazing, you know, satellite cities. But our yeses are focused on mega metropolises. Why? Because nobody wants to plant a church in the mega metropolises. And people who do, they have a really hard time. But we believe in our little young arrogance. We believe that we can be effective. So we say no. And... And right now, we're saying no to America. It's the most logical decision is to plant a church eventually in California, Seattle, maybe even Vancouver. Who knows if they have over a million people. Do Vancouver have over a million people? I don't know. There's not many people up there. Um, We are saying no to America to focus where? On Asia. Asia. Why? Because Asia needs Jesus. There are plenty of people out of America doing church plants. I don't see many of them flying over to Asia. There's just a few doing that. And so we say no to focus on the things that for us, God has called to, called us to, to be effective at. Uh, let me share one quick story before I close. Naomi Initiative. If you guys don't know what the Naomi Initiative was, uh, the Naomi Initiative was where Pastor Aaron and I, we blessed the sisters of the house for a one-month period and it was only leaders only. So guests and visitors could not participate. It was just leaders only. Where female leaders could ask out male leaders on a date. And they had to say yes. So each guy had to say yes to at least three girls. And then from there on, they could say yes to uh, whoever they chose. But at least the first three, they had to say yes. So we had this Naomi initiative. The reason why we did that was we wanted our community to start getting married. You know, but sometimes, you know, you need a different kind of setting to see that person in a different kind of way. Or when you're out on a date, you might be able to appreciate or see gold in that person that you really couldn't see when you come out to service every week. Or maybe you really do like somebody and you went out on a date with them and you realize, actually, I'm not that interested. 
you know, it clears a lot of things up. It also brought a lot of healing to a lot of girls because some girls, the only setting in which they dated a guy was in a secular way, in a manipulative way, in a take advantage of her kind of way. And so when they went out on a date with one of our godly leaders, those women, they got healed. They, re- they realized, oh, so this is what it feels like. This is how I'm supposed to be treated. This is the way Christ wants me to be treated. And this is the way I need to value myself. So anyway, there was a lot of amazing things. But let me tell you a story about a couple of fellas that ended up, that I, that I ended up rebuking and yelling at. Because they kept saying yes to every girl that called. Each guy was about to say yes to three. But I was a little bit alarmed because a couple of these guys, they had 10 to 12 dates. And you're only allowed one month period to go out on these dates. And so I knew that they possibly could not be interested in all those girls. So I called them up and I was like, man, what is going on? Do you like all these girls? What's going on? And they said, oh, it's because, uh, let me just be honest, Pastor Christian. I had a hard time saying no. When I heard that, I got really upset. Because I knew that some of these girls were really taking a courageous step by making that phone call. The least that the guy can do is give an honest and firm answer. Not this, you know, I don't like saying no. So let me just, okay, I'll go. And hopefully it'll work out. No, I think if the woman is willing to take that courageous step, you should give her a firm and honest answer. So in your heart, you should determine when that girl calls, if you're open to romance with her, then you can say yes. But, if, you know, for some people, you're not open to romance with them in your heart. If that's the case, you got to just say no. Maybe that could change later. But at that moment, if that's the case, you got to learn to say no. Because for some sisters, man, when they got that no, some of them were like, you know, oh, crying. You know, they, were, they were devastated. Other girls, hallelujah, I'm free. <laughs> man, I've been praying for that guy for six months. Now I know, hallelujah, I can go move on to Ryan Duke or whoever, you know, like, you know. So I actually ended up calling, uh, asking these guys to call some of these girls back and cancel these dates and apologize to these women. I mean, physically, it wasn't even possible to go on that many dates within four weeks anyway. So they ended up doing that. What am I trying to say? Church, we got to learn how to utilize the power of our no. Somebody's crossing your boundaries and abusing you, you got to say no. If somebody's trying to pull you in every which direction, it keeps you from focusing on the things that you know God's called you to, you need to say no. Now, don't get me wrong. There might be seasons where you say yes to certain things that aren't connected with your particular call or dream, but it's actually training up for your dream. But be discerning and choose carefully what you say yes to. And we're in this kind of a season where we want to encourage people with the entrepreneurial spirit. Ask, you know, and challenge people, start a business. Hey, check out, you know, Kenny and Gina have done with Vatos. Start a business, look, man. You know, like Brugogi Brothers, Holy Chow. These restaurant chains that have blown up all over Korea and now back to America. You know, they were started. You know who started them? Canadians. 
listen, the Canadians, they opened up these incredible restaurants. If a Canadian can do that, don't you think some of us Americans can too? Come on. So I'm proud, man. I'm proud of, of uh, it's Kenny, right? Kenny and, and Gina who started Vatos, man. I'm proud of them, man. They're doing a great job. Man, it, so many things come out of this house as well from you guys. You young people, man. Uh, us young people. <laughs> a lot of incredible things that come out. But we got to choose carefully what we're going to say yes to. It might require you to say no to nine things before you find that one thing. You're like, this is it. We need to go all in with this. And sometimes you get it wrong. Here's the thing I learned about getting it wrong. When you are walking in a desire for the perfect will of God for your life, when your confession is, Lord, let your will be done, not my will, yours be done. I want to walk in your perfect will. When that's your prayer and confession, even when you make a wrong decision, God has an uncanny way of bringing you back to the center of his perfect will. So you don't ever have to fear. Well, what if I make this decision, I start this business, but it's the wrong thing completely? Uh Uh-uh. If your confession is, Lord, I want your perfect will for my life, I can assure you from my own personal experience, and I made a lot of off decisions, by the way, God in his grace has always brought me back to the right timing, to the right place, right to the center of his perfect will for my life. That's what Pastor Benjamin talked about in one of his sermons recently. You got to have faith and assurance when you take steps. Even if, you, if it's not all there, you're uncertain. Do it with assurance. Just go for it. This is what I'm saying. Just go for it. You know, investigate, do your research, and then go for it. Stop waiting till everything perfectly lines up. Stop waiting because you're going to wait forever. What are you waiting for? Remember my sermon? Earlier this year, what are you waiting for? All right. So by next year, I expect uh, about 10 businesses from e one, about 30 from Hillside. Look, man, I don't want to see y'all just teaching these hagwon jobs forever. I don't think your future spouse wants you to just teach at hagwon jobs forever. Now, if you can be a manager and owner of a hagwon, God bless you. But look, check this out, man. Sky's the limit. If expats in Israel can do it, if your mama did it in America without knowing any English, you, with all the resources you have, can do incredible things for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.